With Metro and the best deal in wireless, whatever your goal, however you hustle, you can rule your day. Get two lines with 5G access included for just $35 a month per line, period. With taxes and regulatory fees always included, so you know exactly how much you pay every month. All on America's largest 5G network at no extra charge. Plus, at Metro, get the latest 5G phones, like a Samsung Galaxy for less than 100 bucks when you switch. That's the best deal in wireless, so you can take control of your day wherever it takes you. Metro by T-Mobile, empowering you to rule your day. Requires auto pay. First month is $40 per line for two lines. Samsung A51 requires port from eligible carrier and ID validation limited to two per account. Coverage not available in some areas. See Metro by T-Mobile.com or store for details. Welcome, listener. How are you? I'm glad you're doing well, and I'm glad you had a good week. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Aaron's Opinion, the podcast for blind people, where we talk about critical issues in the blindness community from around the world. Before we get going too far, I would like to just remind everybody around the world that everything you hear today is copywritten by Aaron Richmond and Aaron's Opinion. Thank you for that. Second thing, Aaron's Opinion can be heard almost anywhere you get a podcast, from Apple to Spreaker to Spotify, YouTube, uh, you name it, we're probably there. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and of course, you can also follow this podcast on Patreon. Uh, today, uh, I'm speaking with someone new, a very special guest, and I'm sure he'll become, I'm sure he is and will become a great, great friend and a great familiar face to our podcast here. Tom Walker, a communication specialist from Liverpool, UK. Just before I pushed the start button, though, I need to, or just before I started recording, I need to, I need to warn all the Liverpool fans out there that he doesn't necessarily support the Liverpool club, and he's not a Mohamed Salah fan. That's a little interesting, if you ask me. Tom Walker, how are you? Welcome to Aaron's Opinion. How's it going? <laughs> yes, I'm absolutely fine. And uh, um, yes, thank you for that introduction. Um, I should point out, I am um, from Manchester and people who live in Liverpool and, and further afield will understand that the great cities of Liverpool and Manchester, on the football field at least, are great rivals. Although, of course. Although great friends off the pitch. <laughs> okay. So, you know, one of the um one of the critical issues that I like to talk about in the in the blindness community is to give people the chance to, you know, first of all, to tell your story. Um y- you know, uh so how so how did you uh become blind? Maybe talk about some, you know, experiences you've had growing up, uh what you do today, that type of thing. Tell tell us who you are. Okay. Well, I mean, I was born uh, totally blind in fact and um, at the age of three and a half after a lot of operations um, they uh, well I was going to say restored some sight but maybe I should say gave me a small amount of, of useful residual vision I mean it's something around two between two and three sixtieths in my right eye they decided to leave the left eye totally blind because they thought at the time that if they started to uh, mess about with it too much it could damage the vision that they had secured so uh, I am more or less totally blind in my left eye I have um, a degree of light perception um, 
that can't see anything useful um, at all. Um, I went to special school um, throughout my um, primary and secondary education. I went to a primary school for blind children in, in Liverpool, which is in the northwest of England. Um, it was about 40 miles from where my family um, used to live. That school was called the Royal School for the Blind. Uh, it was a very good school. We learnt Braille and and lots of other things are useful, <laughs> useful to passing exams and things. So we did, you know, lots of English and maths and science, um, sport, mobility and so on. We lived there during the week and the lucky ones went home for the weekend. We then, I then moved on to a school in Worcester, which is about 30 miles from Birmingham in the West Midlands um in the in england um and there i was there from the age of what 12 whatever it was and you have to pass an exam for that school so um it was very bizarre we went on the, the friday afternoon till sunday um and i don't know about you but i never feel really that academic at any time in my life but especially on a friday saturday and the sunday but nonetheless that's what we did and we did all the usual stuff, you know, English, writing essays, math, science, um, and we were uh, properly assessed by the staff. Um, it was, uh, well, it was, it was a bit unnerving. It was a very posh school. I hope you Americans use the word posh in the same way as we do. Um, very upper class. And um, the, the history, and, the, and I, I recall that on many of my travels, which we'll get into it in part two in a few minutes, but in many of my travels, I, as I said before I pushed record, I've spent, um, for, for an American, per, for, for some guy who's, who's supposedly American as I am, I've spent actually a fair bit of time with, with, with English people. As I said, I've lived in England, so I'm quite familiar. I'm relatively familiar with many things about your country, relatively. And um, yeah, posh, as, as they like to say, it has something to do with the, the port side of a ship. Is That's port. right. And it had, but I forget what it stands for, port over. Uh, port, well. It stands for port out, starboard home. Um, and that was what the upper class rich passengers wanted when they were on their cruises, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a very posh school, very upper class. Um, all the teachers had cut glass English accents, which probably I sound like I've got now. Um, but, you know, um, right, no, for the, and for the American listeners at home, you, you said something that I didn't quite understand. You said, Tom, could, 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 you, could, could you explain it one, once more? You said they had cut glass English accents. What? That means very sharp um, and, and very clear um, accents. Um, yeah, the way so, that, so the way that you speak, yeah, yeah, you have a beautiful accent, a very um, kind of uh, uh, kind of similar to what I would hear on BBC News. Yeah, you definitely have a very sharp, a very clear accent. Well, yeah. mine. Some people might regard my accent as cut glass. I'm probably speaking a little bit more clearly. Sure. Because I'm conscious, I'm conscious of the fact that I'm being recorded. It's what we call in England my telephone voice. Of I course. Think. No, everyone, <laughs> everyone does that. And of course, I'm, as a podcaster, I do the same. I'm enunciating yeah. more of my syllables because yeah. I know I'm recording myself. You have to do that. You have to compensate a little as, as a podcaster because not every sound, it's really strange. Not every sound comes across perfectly. I, I can't begin to understand it, but what no, I do no. is I, 
I, I do overcome, I, I do have to compensate for it sometimes. So this is yeah. how I normally speak, maybe without so many emphasizes or emphases, but this is how I, this is how I speak. But yes, you do have a very clear way of speaking. Yes. Well, I probably learned that at the school in, in Worcester. Um, it was called Worcester College for the Blind Sons of Gentlemen originally. Um, oh, I see. Then, so, so you, so there, so I mean, that's that's a lot of standards there. You have to be blind, and you have to be a son of a gentleman. Apparently. Well, fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, by the time I arrived, the um, sons of gentlemen had been removed from the school's <laughs> title, which was uh, which was probably a blessing for all concerned. Well, so um, then, so that way, so that way, all of the all of the disrespectful people that wouldn't have been able to get in that uh, school could have gotten in there, right? Well, no, no, which includes me, um, very very much so. <laughs> Um, but yeah, by, was, by the way, by the way, I do I do tend to be very entertaining and and and, and, and sarcastic at times. By the way, just, just to let you know, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it was a very good school, um, very academic, and the expectation was that you would um, do your O levels and A levels, which you normally take around the age of sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen or nineteen, and you would go on to university. Um, there really wasn't much discussion or debate. Um, when I was at the school, um, I think there were three careers that were on offer to blind people. And uh, what were they teaching, uh, being a lawyer or being a computer programmer? Anybody who expressed an interest in doing anything else at all was told in no uncertain terms that that wouldn't be possible. Right. Um, but many people ignored it and... Uh, the, we had a careers teacher who used to visit the school um, and, and he'd clearly failed in everything he'd done because he'd become a careers teacher. Um, <laughs> I, I, think it, I think that's something that, uh, that failures tend to end up doing is advising other people on what they should do and usually very badly. Um, well, well we, got, we got that straight. All right, so you don't want to talk to my friend. He's a, he's a, a headhunter. <laughs> well, well yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe later if we've got time. Um, I, I did psychology as my degree, um, which was a, a great course to do. I did that at the mainstream college. Um, the lecturers were incredibly helpful. Um, nowadays, I, I guess it's the same at, at universities in the US, but they have these special needs coordinators um, and, and, and they provide everything for the visually impaired student, you know, things in Braille or alternative formats. They didn't have the, I'm so old, they didn't have things like that in my day, which meant that the lecturers took responsibility for making sure I had um, copies of the overheads and everything else in, in an accessible format. And that worked. And then the minute they started to introduce special needs, the lecturers also, well, it's not my responsibility anymore, mate, you know, go and speak to somebody else. So, uh, um, but my lecturers were, were, were amazingly um, helpful. I did my degree and did quite well and did a postgraduate diploma in radio and television journalism at a university in Preston, which is again in the northwest of England, about uh, 30 miles from Manchester. Um, and that was also a great course. And the, 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 the guy in charge, a chap called Mike Green, was an amazing character, really inspirational, very eccentric. I mean, real eccentric English, old English uh, you could imagine him wearing a, a bowler hat and, and walking down the road, waving his umbrella at things he disapproved of. Um, but he was a great guy, a great teacher. 
and I, like you, I, I record podcasts and I do some work for the BBC and so on and so on and so on. And I still remember years later some of the things that Mike told me, which, which really is a testament to how good he was. Um, absolutely astonishing. After that, I'll try and be brief because otherwise we could be here all night. Um, it's gone dark here in the UK, by the way, now. It's just after eight o'clock. Um, yeah, I mean, after that, I, I worked variously on well, what we would say on both sides of the proverbial fence. So I've worked as a media manager for organisations, for local councils and central government. And I've worked as a uh, researcher, producer and broadcaster um, for the BBC with varying degrees of, of success. Um, the moment we're, we're kind of half out of lockdown and things have been very quiet on the freelance front with the BBC. Um, luckily, other people have been prepared to pay me for my podcasts and, and, and dubious other skills. So, uh, uh, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here um, uh, claiming poverty or living life of a pauper by any means. Um, and, and, and life could be a lot worse. One of the things I have got coming up is it's a new role for me. In, in, in England, we have what are called employment tribunals. And they are, it's a court hearing for people who claim that they've been treated unfairly or discriminated against at work. Mm. And I've been just appointed as a, what we call a non-legal member of the tribunal. So I get paid to offer my non-legal real world expertise so uh, that work is coming in, hopefully going to come in very useful over the next uh, few months and years. Well, that's, that is especially interesting. Um, you know, in the, in the United States, uh, on, my, on my side of the pond, we do have the Americans with Disabilities Act. However, mm. as you may have heard, a lot of people in the disability community um, are saying, and myself included, will tell you that it's probably a little dated, meaning it's probably a little old. It needs to be, mm. it needs a bit of a renaissance. So yes, there, yes. there's been a lot of talk about that, about what can be done. Um, the, the truth of the matter is this, that when you're uh, discriminated against in the United States, um, it is incredibly difficult to mm. have a case and be heard by uh, by a judge or by a legal official. Um, it, there, it, it's just the way our justice system is set up. Discrimination is just something that's very difficult. You know, six di basically six different things. There's like six different legal points that have to be proven. And it all has to happen in the right order, and it's very complicated. It would be considered very unusual for yeah. someone to claim a discrimination case. Um, and so usually what I've, what I've done in life, and I'm saying this because to give you the hint that maybe, maybe I've faced discrimination, as really, by the way, all people face discrimination. It's, mm. just, it's just that all people don't talk about being being discriminated against, but actually yeah. all people face some some form of discrimination in their life or else life wouldn't go on. You know, that's life. Mm. Um, what I've what I've had to do. But say, thank you. That It's wonderful that you're on the tribunal. I, I support that idea. That's that's so good. Um, it, but I mean, really, you know, that's something that wouldn't happen in the States. What I've had to do is simply move on, move yeah. on and spend my energy 
focusing on things that are are productive and are successful for me and it's yeah that's and you know and i i i'm i am only 29 years old so i don't know yet if that's necessarily the right thing but that's kind of how how life has has worked itself out another yes. another very fascinating thing that you said is that you are doing work or at least have done work with the bbc that's amazing. Mm. What that really fascinates me um, as a listener to BBC programs in the past. I'm familiar with it. What can you uh, tell me about, you know, working for the BBC? And really, if you want, give us the inside scoop how the BBC really works. I can do lots of things uh, along those lines. Just very quickly, I'll explain the recent history of equality legislation in the sure. UK. Go ahead. Um, yeah, um, in 1995, we passed. Uh, in this country, something called the Disability Discrimination Act, um, which basically made it illegal to treat a disabled person less favourably um, than an able-bodied person and required organisations to make reasonable adjustments. Um, and initially, there was quite a lot of excitement um, in relation to this because disabled people kind of thought, well, we finally got what we wanted. Um, in 2010, the legislation was updated. Um, but what has happened, I think, is that employers have learned to um, fireproof themselves against claims. And what I mean by that is they, um, they, they, they have the processes in place which ostensibly um, seem to be um, fair and non-discriminatory. Um, but in reality, um, dis uh, disabled people in this country uh, experience huge amounts of discrimination. I think it's something yeah, like sure. only only 53 percent of disabled people in this country are in employment. And actually, for the purposes of your podcast, I think only 25 percent of visually impaired I, people of working age. The same same is in, true. In the, same is true in the states, indeed. Yeah, and there's and it's really from from my perspective. As a as a young person, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, and, and please remember this knowledge. You can go back to this episode as much as you want, Tom. I'll tell you, as a young guy in the States, um, it's it's very it can be very frustrating and very disheartening. And when you're someone who's young and has a disability and you have an education and then someone says you still can't work, even though you have an education, it's mm. very, very, very frustrating. And fortunately for me I had some other interests I had interest in teaching so then I got a job online you know with company x or something like that doing online work which is what I've been doing for five years and and it's mm. and it's and it's perfect for me um and I love it love every second of it but I I'm my great my greatest concern is that in 30 years we're going to have a situation where like a lot of blind people need help and they haven't worked their whole lives yeah, what, exactly. What, about, what that's that's what really. What, what do you think about that, Tom? That's what really scares me. How? I think, how yes. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a hugely complex subject. Um, but in in the UK, um, what happened is that uh, blind children increasingly were sent to mainstream, non-special schools. Good. Uh, um, which, on the face of it, sounds great, and we all kind of support that. But what happens to those children in mainstream schools is that they are assigned somebody called a learning support assistant. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this person um, literally hovers one meter away yeah. from their young person throughout the day. 
So he or she doesn't develop any independent skills at all. Um, and what you often find is that those children that went to, visually impaired children that went to mainstream schools, do not have the mobility, do not have the independent skills to get around. Um, and they're used to just having virtually everything done for them. And what also happens is that, as anybody knows, when you're in school, there's always a bit of fun in the classroom, you know, when the, before the teacher arrives, and maybe when the teacher actually has arrived in the classroom, te you know, kids are larking around. That's what happens. Indeed, um, for, for the, and, and, on, and on my side of the pond, we, 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 we phrase it, there's always some bullying and some horsing around in the classroom. Horsing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, not, yeah. yeah. Not necessarily bullying, but just horsing around, you know. Clowning around, yeah. Yeah, clowning around. But the visually impaired child, because he or she has this learning support assistant with them, um, doesn't get involved in that. So, so actually, they're, they're almost more excluded um, in mainstream schools than they are than they would be in in a special school um, but as a result of all of that and because of health and safety as well which is huge now in this country you can't do anything without somebody giving you the health and safety lecture um, you know so that, that kind of also sort of restricts what blind children can and can't do um, and so when they go to university they even have things like note people taking their notes for them. And it's like, are you serious? You know, you are at university. I yeah. can't imagine being at university, having anybody taking my notes for me because notes, notes are so personal. You know, they really are my uh, understanding of what the lecturer has said, what the teacher has said. Um, you know, so it, it, it's that bad. So I agree with you. I think the situation is actually getting an awful lot worse for disabled people, but specifically for visually impaired people than it's, than it's ever been. It's yeah. more difficult now. And some of, one of the things you often hear people say, Aaron, is things like, well, we can't, we can't employ a visually impaired person. What happens if he or she walks into the bin? And it's like, well, what happens if anybody walks into the bin? It goes over, rubbish <laughs> ends up on the floor, and you put it back in the bin, and everybody moves on with their day. But for some reason... Because the blind person does it, it's more serious, it's more dangerous. Now, let me tell you what I also think happens. Um, I've sat on both sides of, of, of the desk when um, we're recruiting. So I've been the interviewer, and obviously I've been an interviewee. And what happens is, certainly in the UK, is that when a disabled person is being interviewed, he or she has to tick every box yeah. and tick it really, really well. Whereas what they will do with a non-disabled person is they will recruit on potential. So if non-disabled person X maybe doesn't have the financial management skills, they will ask themselves, can he or she gain those skills? If the answer is yes, they'll give them the job. Whereas if they're interviewing a blind person or a disabled person, they will say, does Tom have the financial management skills? No. Okay, well, that's, we can't employ him then. So that's what happens, and it, it's, it's a very uh, subtle and very difficult to prove form of, of discrimination. But that's just one, one example. 
Now, you asked me about the BBC. Do you want the inside scoop, dear? <laughs> well. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, us, us, us Americans have been fascinated by it. So, you know, we, we might have wondered, gee, you know, how does, someone, how does someone get to work with the BBC? How does someone get involved in all that stuff in the first place? Well, when I was doing my postgraduate diploma in, in, in radio journalism, um, the, there's a program in the UK called In Touch, um, which is a program on radio for, um, for well, it, it covers issues of interest to blind and partial sighted people. There was also a program um, called Does He Take Sugar, which covered all the other disabilities. Um, and so I was asked to go and do some work for Does He Take Sugar? Um, for a few months and then kind of got passed around the BBC um, because people didn't really know what to do with the visually impaired person or or whatever and they just kind of felt well we've got to offer him some work somewhere so I got passed around I ended up at a station called Five Live which you may have heard um, and then I ended up working at something called the General News Service which provides um, services, well, provides reports uh, um, and journalism for local radio stations. Um, so it was quite an interesting, you know, an eye-opening experience. Um, but as I look back on it now, I just think at the time the BBC was kind of thinking, well, you know, this guy's quite good. He's got a good radio voice. He can make good radio. You know, let's just see what we can do. And, and I enjoyed it. But getting full-time work with the BBC was impossible. Uh, maybe, and you know, I have to accept this. Maybe it was a, it could be a lack of talent on my on my part. Um, but it could also be discrimination uh, on the part of the BBC, um, because you know, at no point has anybody ever said to me, "You don't make good radio. You're not a good broadcaster." Um, so you know, what's the alternative? Um, I, and it, it, it is difficult and it is my, you know, it was the, the, the training I did to be a radio journalist. But because finding work in the BBC has been very, very difficult, I've had to do other work. We talked about the Employment Tribunal and under the things that I do, I do a bit of teaching as well, which I know you do. Um, and I love it and I love those elements of my work. Um, and I, I, you know, I can't complain because at least I'm, I'm doing doing things. But obviously, radio journalism was the thing that I trained to do. Um, but unfortunately, I don't think the BBC is, is in the right mindset, is in the right psychological place to really understand what it needs to do to employ um, disabled people. Um, it just seems, I think it regards us, and I use the term us because we're visually impaired and many of your listeners will be, regards us as... Um, people we are the subjects of their stories they don't see us as people that they work alongside we are the, the passive recipients of state benefits social security we aren't people who actually tell the stories who 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 actually work alongside them and and, and i think that 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 mindset still very much exists within the bbc now i'm hoping and you, you may tell me otherwise, but I'm hoping that, you know, you, you listening to me might say to you, hmm, this guy can speak pretty well. He, may be, he might even be a reasonably good broadcaster, but that doesn't seem to have uh, entered and penetrated the psyche of the BBC at the moment. Um, and unfortunately, the number of disabled people working for the BBC is, is pitifully low. 
really, and, and, yeah. and going down. And it, it's just mm. a real shame. I don't want to have a complete downer on the BBC because, I mean, I've had some good times there as well. I've done, made some great radio, I think, and worked with some nice people. But, you know, there, it's a very competitive sure. um, industry. Um, and, you know, of course, people do, there is a lot of bullying and often the disabled person is the easiest target. And I will say to you quite openly, and uh, you know, I'm not easily bullied, by the way, as you may be able to tell. Yeah, but me, I, ne- me neither. Me neither. Yeah. yeah. But I, my, I my, been... my personality can change very, uh, when it needs to, my personality can change in a 180. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been, you know, the victim <clears throat> of some appalling bullying at the BBC. So, I mean, really dreadful bullying. Um, and, and and it, it, you know you wouldn't you you know you really wouldn't believe it if you were there. No, and of I, course, unfortunately, and sadly, it's very sad for me to say this, but actually, I do believe it. It's, it's but I think it's also true that the BBC, like any other company, is an office, and any office has to have a bully. So that doesn't that doesn't surprise me in the slightest that there would be those problems. It's a shame. Yeah. It mm. what does surprise me is that someone who has the functioning skills and the supposed intellect to work at the BBC would be enough of, you know, pardon the French, enough of a jackass to spend their time bullying someone else who's disabled. That's the real problem, but it doesn't really surprise me. I think you you have people. Yes. Yes. Sorry, Aaron. I think what happens is, yeah. I mean, what I think happens is when people feel threatened Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, you know, in the instance, um, well, yeah, the, the experience I had, uh, I was working at a station in the northwest of of England, radio station there, and I, you know, freely admit I've got very good political knowledge, um, you know, and generally quite good general knowledge. I'm not an expert or wouldn't win any competitions, but I've, you know, I'm pretty well informed. I read quite a lot, and I can retain a fair bit. I can remember stuff. And there was this particular guy who I think felt he was a presenter. I won't go into too much details because I think the BBC are still. Um, looking into this um, but he was a presenter and you know he felt threatened because whenever we were talking about a story I could often throw in a bit of information that other people didn't have and he hated that absolutely hated it and 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 really conspired with other people to prevent my work from getting on air you know, that's how bad it was. But then on the other side of that coin, that means that you were a really good presenter for the BBC. Because if someone takes the time to try to disable you, that means you're doing mm. a good job. That's another Absolutely. Trick. Yeah. That's yeah. A tr- um, so you must have been really good. Yeah. Well, I, well, I, I don't know. I think it, 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 I think it, you were. I think you it's, were. It's a kind of what we would call a backhanded compliment. Exactly. Um, that, that somebody took the time and the energy to, to, to try and bully me. Um, you know, and uh, what what really disappointed me was that uh, colleagues, so-called colleagues, were aware of it. Um, but when the time came, um, they they chose to stay silent. That doesn't doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Mm. But yeah. you know, let's. I mean, just to say though, I mean, I've had some good times with the BBC as well. It hasn't been all bad by any means. Um, and, you know, there are one or two very good people there who really do care about other people and, and so on. But it is, you know, and I think we have to realise this. And people often say, well, what's it like working for the media? It's very, very competitive and cutthroat. And, of course, you know, 
um, if somebody is threatening you, the last thing you want to do, or, or is a threat to you, not threatening you, that was a very poor way of putting it. If somebody is a threat to you or your position, then of course, you're going to try and undermine that person. And that's, you know, a lot of what goes on. That, that just isn't related to me. That happens all the time. And the BBC, like a lot of organisations, doesn't have any processes for handling that, really, or doesn't have any really? sensible processes. Well, now, that, now, okay, now that's the first thing you said today that makes absolutely no sense to me. So you're saying, okay, c c come on. You're, you're just, just so that I'm, well, actually I'm, I'm pretty crazy myself, but just to make sure I'm not totally crazy. Did you just say that the BBC, a global news agency doesn't have a process, a process for, for managing or, or managing complaints within its own uh, employee corps? Really? They will tell you that there is a process. Um, but the reality was, and, and somebody quite senior within the BBC was a bit surprised when I explained what had happened. <laughs> I didn't get one second's worth of support throughout this time. And, and she was quite surprised. I mean, I, I guess, uh, was hoping for some support from somewhere, but do you know what? I didn't get any support from anybody in the BBC. In fact, you know, they closed ranks. You know, that, that was what happened. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and I've seen it so many times. I could, I could name countless cases i wouldn't do that of course publicly but i can name countless uh, cases of people who've been bullied who've been the victims of bullying and nothing's been done about it at all it's 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 a shame yeah and you know and the same thing similar things have happened maybe in my own life in very different ways but in my own life mm. and, and in the lives of many many people with disabilities and without disabilities all over i i think that this issue of discrimination and bullying and workplace harassment and you just i i think that this is a far larger problem than we're actually aware i mean you're aware mm. of it but i'm just saying Globally, I think this is a really big problem that we oftentimes don't even talk about. Yeah, well, and I think for yeah. so, sorry, Aaron, I was going to say I think for an organisation to really face up to it, you know, and obviously is it's a it's a huge leap of faith and an admission that things have been wrong. So of course, you know, an organisation like the BBC or just a big government department. They aren't going to, they aren't willingly and easily going to say, yeah, we've been getting this wrong. Um, and even organizations, and I can name them, that have been taken to court for bullying, you know, and had findings against them. Even then, they still will issue the same old statement. We have robust processes in place, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they weren't that robust because the courts weren't impressed, you know, <laughs> Yeah, or the thing that, or the thing that cracks that. Well, it doesn't crack me up, but the thing that the other way that we that they phrase it in the states is, um, anytime anytime a company says we have an open door policy, I'm not walking. <laughs> yeah, I'm not walking anywhere near that open door. Well, that means, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing is, you're, you're like you like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, well it, I was going to say, Aaron, the other one is is when you hear an organization say something like. We have a no blame culture, and you go. <laughs> you, you know, if if that was obvious, you wouldn't need to say it. You right, know, right. You know. Or the other, or it just, it just, go, it just, it's it, no. I mean, it really, it really is a comedy routine. The we have, yeah. we have, we have an open door policy. Or the other thing is, um, do you want to work for a company? A new, new line, new line. We're super nice. 
you know mm. <laughs> like yeah well if you're if you're super nice why are you saying you're super nice you yeah. know or uh, and the it, other one funny. it is oh absolutely and the other one is do you want to work for an organization that doesn't provide you with any feedback after you've been for an interview um i was sitting in um i was sitting in an organization and i was the, the receptionist was there and i was waiting to go into this interview she took a call very clearly from uh, somebody who'd been for a job interview and i heard her say well we don't we don't provide feedback and at that moment i didn't want to work for that organization because i just thought you know if people have gone out of their way prepared for an interview the least you can do is give them uh, uh, you know five minutes of your time um and if you've got five minutes let me tell you a story um, of how I helped somebody. Um, when I worked for a local council, we interviewed for a, a press officer job. And this woman was very, very good, but quite clearly she hadn't done any preparation. She wasn't visually impaired. Um, but she phoned me up. She said, Tom, she said, can I get some feedback? And I said, well, yeah. I said, if you like, cool. I'm quite happy to chat to you. Do you want me to be honest or polite? Yeah. And she said, honest. I said, are you sure? She said, yeah. And I said, yeah, okay. I said, look, if you'd done some preparation for this interview, you'd have got the job. If you'd known who the council leader was and maybe (laughs) one or two of the other senior people, you'd have got this job. She went, okay, point taken. I I get that. Four months later, she phoned me up and I thought, oh my goodness, she's not suing me, is she, or something. And (laughs) she said, I just want to thank you. I said, what what for? She said, the... I took your, your advice, your feedback on, on board, and I've now got a job working for the local health authority. And I was like, oh, hallelujah. You know, it just shows, <laughs> you, know, you know, feedback can work. You know, that's cool. properly. You know, and those, these are the great stories and the great, the great things that I love on my podcast. Those, those kind of weird stories that we mm. walk through life. That's really weird, but that's, that's really positive. You know, that's a really, that's, that's good. So she's probably a good worker then. And she's probably was truly a good person who needed the life lesson of preparation. Yeah. She was just doing the P world. Yeah. I mean, we, we, uh, we, we, we call it uh, doing things on the fly. And, and I think she was doing stuff on the fly. She was so used to just kind of turning up to things. She was very quick, very sharp, very intelligent woman. But she just assumed she could turn up, she'd be fine. She didn't need to do much. Um, But obviously, somebody else had done more preparation. Wasn't quite as inspirational as her, but they got the job because, you know, we needed somebody that we could rely on and needed somebody to do the job. Um, But it was great. I mean, you know, I I still, I always remember that because I kind of think, you know, in life, I think, you know, we should should try and help each other um, and help people where we can. Um, which may be one reason I'm not suited to the broadcasting industry because it doesn't tend to work like that. I see. Well, I think you're extremely suited to it. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I wonder if, um, I mean, who who else have you shared your podcast with? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would want to listen to your to your podcast yeah and i know and i noticed that you what you send out are youtube videos so do you do a podcast or do you just record it over youtube and produce youtubes we we do i do audio but i put them on youtube and the the reason i do that um was because i found the other platforms um certainly things like apple were quite complicated i mean i'd love to get it on apple 
but every time I've looked into it, it's been so complicated. The reason I like YouTube is that it is very accessible. And when you click on the link, it plays. You know, you don't have to do anything else, um, which I think is, is really quite, quite good. Um, I also use SoundCloud um, because some people like SoundCloud, so I put them on there. Um, and the way I do it is I try and target my, um, my podcasts at people who I think would be interested in them. Now, a lot of the work I do, not exclusively, but a lot of the work I do relates to visual impairment. Um, but I do do other things um, as well. Um, so I try and just find people on Twitter and Facebook and, and in my email contacts and WhatsApps and everything else and just think that if they know me, they might be interested. If they're visually impaired or disabled, they might be interested. Um, and, you know, if they look like they have just a, a general interest in other things, in, in life, in different things, then I, I send, uh, I make sure I include them uh, as well. I'm sure I could do it more efficiently and more effectively. And, and if anybody comes across my podcasts, I'm always delighted when they're shared. Because um, like anybody who does a podcast, the one thing that we're obsessed by is how many people have listened or watched it or whatever. In a sense, I, I, I would not, I, I, I do not disagree. I, I focus on collecting stories that are really interesting, that gives, that gives great people like you the chance to tell interesting stories. And that's helpful to me. It makes me feel better knowing mm. that I helped you to tell your story. If I help, because I, I know this is true in my heart. And I hope it's true because I believe it to be true. So today I helped you. Well, that means today I also helped a million other people who are maybe frustrated or maybe being harassed at work. Well, maybe we just helped a million people by you telling your story in a beautiful and entertaining and touching way. And that's really, that's really what this is about for me. And I have found that somehow, I don't know how it works, but slowly I keep getting more views. I keep every mm. once in a while, one more person notices. It gets yeah. easier for me to get someone on here. So somehow that just might be true. I don't I know. Always, I always say, you know, if one person <laughs> finds what I've done entertaining, interesting, informative, then that, that's great. That justifies it. Um, and although I've, I'm going to contradict myself well and truly, although I, you know, as, as we've said, we're all obsessed by the listening or viewing figures. Um, <clears throat> the reality is, as I say, if, if there's somebody out there who's listened to this and feels that their life has in some way been enhanced or improved or they've developed a strategy um, or, are, you know, forewarned, forearmed and all the rest of it, then that's great. That, that, that's what I like to you know, feel would be a great um, result of, of doing something like this. I think, you know, it's about sharing experiences. We all, you know, many of us have a visual impairment and therefore we come across many of the same obstacles and it's about sharing those. Right. But the other thing is as well, and somebody said this to me a few months ago, and I, I think it's a, it's a great expression and one I'd not heard before. Um, you've got to serve before you sell. And I think that that is, is just such a really important um, concept. Right. That, you know, you know, you've got to do things for other people before you can expect them to do something for you. And it's something I really took to heart, actually. I was like, oh, my God, never thought of that before. 
um, but it's right. You know, you do have to, and maybe maybe I've not done enough serving and there be in, in, in the past and therefore, you know, need to do more before I start properly selling. I don't know, but I like the expression and I think it illustrates perfectly what, whether you're visually impaired or not, illustrates perfectly what everybody needs to do, um, you know, in life is to, you know, it's the way you can just try and help people, point people in the right direction if you can. If you can't, then you just have to be honest and say, I don't know the answer to that. And I wish more people would be honest too. I, we need more mm. honesty too. That would yeah. be, that would be tremendously, that would be immensely helpful. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it's like <laughs> when you get stopped in the street and people say, do you know the way to? Um, if I don't know, I will just say, rather than kind of say, oh, whatever it is, I'll just say, no, I'm really sorry. I don't know where it is. Where, and equally, if I do, I will take time to point them in the direction and give them good directions. Because that could be me two minutes later needing those directions from somebody right. else. Precisely. You know, and, and, and again, you know, it, it's kind of, for me, a little bit, it, it speaks to this serve before you sell um a concept and an idea you know um i just think the more helpful you can be to other people the karma will come around hopefully one day i'm suspicious that's true i'm suspicious yeah. that's true. the other thing that i i wanted to tell you is i've done a lot of traveling and as I, i've traveled all over the world one of the things i've been i've been one of my dreams i guess is that i i would like to get more information about blind sailing as i said i've done a lot of it um, on my side, you know, here mm. in the States, but I really, I'm really looking for more, more of a, a bit of a, more of an open ocean experience. I'm really serious sail trip for someone who's really wants to be on the ocean, who really wants to sail for, a, you know, an extended period of time. Um, what, you know, as we say, I, I suppose in the business, as we say, who do you, who do you think I should, I should talk to about this? And the, the reason I would ask is because it's going to take a couple of years for me as an American to be able to plan this out. Uh, you know, we have to wait for, you know, the health situation to improve a little bit. You know, these things take some coordination. Who would be a good person for me to talk to about it? Well, certainly in the UK, there's a couple of organizations that offer that experience. I um, have just completed a series of five podcasts. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'll say that again so it makes it easier to edit. I have just completed um, five podcasts, a series of podcasts for um, the UK North Blind Sailing Association. Um, and th those podcasts feature visually impaired people who, who enjoy sailing. Now, the experience they get tends to be a day um, along the River Mersey, sometimes racing, um, but, but sometimes just a leisure, a bit of a, a leisure cruise, if you like. Um, but UK North Blind Sailing Association would be a good uh, starting point and would certainly know the right people to offer the, the, the bigger, if you like, the, the, the more expansive experiences of, of m maybe sailing to Spain or into Europe um, or just going for, you know, longer um, sailing experiences. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mentioned in my podcast a guy called David Owen. Now, if you get his number off my podcast, David would be happy to help, and he would certainly know um, where to point you and, and who, who could provide you with more information. I, the experience... I would, yeah, I just, sure, 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 yeah. No, I know, I would, I would, yeah, off, off, off the recording, off the air, 
Um, I want to talk to you a little bit more about that. I would, you yeah, know, I, I, I do, I, I would like to speak with him, uh, you know, over WhatsApp if he's open, if, you know, if, if, if that could be arranged at some point, um, because, you know, these things would take some coordination uh, as far as me getting there eventually and, and being able to, being able to participate, you know, it's a little, it's a little frustrating, but it's a, it's a goal in a, it's a long term. Unfortunately, it has to be a, apparently a long-term goal because of the, of the situation. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. God, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I certainly hope to do, to do more, more of that. Um, I mean, I guess the other, the other question that I have as I start, as we start to close it out today, so start to run out of time. Um, you know, you said a lot of interesting things and you said that you wish that more people, you know, heard your story. Um, I don't know. I've, I've never asked this before. Is there any, is there any one particular person uh, who you would like me to send this episode to? Someone who you know, who you know would be genu genuinely interested in hearing from you who would like this episode? I'd be happy to send it to them. <laughs> I, I can't think of anybody in particular. I just think these things find the right people, hopefully, yeah, they in do. the end. You know, um, people who are interested in finding out more will we'll make the effort to look um, and will open the link and, and have a listen, hopefully. Um, you know, it, I guess being a bit more flippant, it would be it would be nice if a few teachers at school heard this and thought, oh, well, he, he wasn't such a waster after all. You know, maybe he was uh, he, he has actually managed to do something with his life. You know, um, you know, um, teachers are we're often very good at saying uh, fairly negative things on the old school reports, you know, they would say, oh, this boy spends far too much time in the pub or too much time watching football or whatever it might be. So uh, there might be one or two old teachers kicking around who, um, uh, if they're still with us, um, might be shocked and surprised to hear this. I don't know. I'm, I'm being very flippant. Um, but it would be good, you know, to, I, I, I will obviously want to share it myself i think there's a story in here somewhere for people and maybe something to take on board and people to react to um but yeah i mean just on traveling because uh, that's one of my big passions me too uh, i know you yeah well i've been to around 35 countries i think um including much of south america um including argentina and chile venezuela uruguay Colombia <clears throat> and I, I love that part of the world um, I really do and I find interestingly in South America the attitude towards visual impairment is 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 maybe what you might describe as a little bit rough and ready but very inclusive um, you know they, they they don't seem to have all the hang-ups that we have in in the West um, about visual impairment they just seem to kind of get stuck in and help um they may not provide the help in exactly the way you'd want them to but they but their intentions are good and their instincts are good um and i think again maybe as visually impaired people we're not always good at analyzing what the intention was we just complain so oh, this is terrible this person shouldn't have done that and maybe what we should be saying is their intentions were actually good. They meant that they were trying to help. Maybe they got it wrong this time and there's an education there for them. But um, I, I love South America and I love the attitude that the people down there have towards me as a visually impaired person. 
Well, good. Yeah. Closest I've been to that would be St. Lucia in the Eastern Caribbean. I did some oh, volunteering, okay. did some yeah. volunteering there, but I've been to England, France three times. My second language is French. So, uh, -huh. uh yeah. Um, I've been to Poland, Amsterdam, Austria, Germany, Czech Republic, Swaziland, oh. East Watine yeah. with, um, with travel eyes, actually. I went to the travel oh, yeah. eyes. Yeah. Lo loved that trip. Yeah. Mm. It was so good. So good. So good. Well, um, you are, you are, you did a magnificent job. You did a magnificent job today. Um, <clears throat> uh, by, by the way, one, one more thing. Uh, you may want to look into Spreaker uh, because they can easily put you on Apple. It's like, couldn't be easier. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, for your, for your podcast. I would, I high, speak very highly of it. Um, they can get you on Apple everywhere. YouTube, you know, they can post for you all of that stuff. Um, so today we've been talking um, to Tom Walker uh, from from England. Uh, you did you did a magnificent job today. Do you have any final words to say? No, other than to say um, it, it's you know I, who doesn't enjoy talking about themselves, I suppose. <laughs> but it's 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 great. Uh, this is the second one I've done actually in in as many weeks. So. Uh, um, I'm getting rather used to doing doing this now, but I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. And, well, you're always yeah, you're I mean, always welcome. You're always you're all, if 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 anyone else doesn't allow you on their podcast, know that <laughs> know that you have a special place right here on Aaron's opinion. All right. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you, and I just hope that people have found at least something useful in what I've had to say. I certainly have. What about you? By the way, you at home, the listeners, everybody's afraid to email me. Aaron's opinion six at gmail.com. I would love to know what you think of this episode or anything else. Comment below on YouTube. Comment. Let me know what's going on out there. All right, guys. Well, that's about all I have today. Um, I will certainly send you this information in a few hours after I'm done. And as I like to say, thanks so much, Tom. Have a, have a good day today and a great day tomorrow. It's been great to reach out to you. It's time for pumpkin flavors and new fall favorites at Dunkin'. And also some tough decisions. Like, do I want a signature pumpkin spice ice latte? A brand new oat milk latte? A new chai latte? Or a pumpkin iced coffee? Oh, and the bakery. Do I want a pumpkin donut or... Uh, there are other people behind you in this drive-thru. Oh, uh, I'll just take it all. Okay. It's all the cozy you crave at Dunkin'. Pumpkin favorites and new fall additions, like new creamy without the dairy oat milk lattes and the signature pumpkin spice ice latte, plus more. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Dunkin's new wake-up go-tos mean you never have to choose between breakfast meats again. Now you can get a wake-up wrap with bacon and a wake-up wrap with sausage for $3. That's savory and sweet, crispy and spicy. It's everything you love about breakfast for $3. Wake up your day with new wake-up go-tos. Get two egg and cheese wraps for $2 or mix and match your favorite meats with two bacon, ham, sausage, or turkey sausage wraps for $3. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer.